0: Welcome to the Gnostic Warrior. How are you doing today, William?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, the invite. Great to be here.
0: My pleasure. And been following your, your great work for quite some time. We have a lot of the same interest. And, you know, before we get into that in the podcast, I always like to introduce the guest and have the guest actually tell a little bit about their history. So if you could let us know what got you interested in this work, maybe your early path. And then to where you are today, that'd be great if you can give us a synopsis.
1: I think looking back, like my psychology, it's about not knowing. So I kind of went the traditional educational route, got a BA, went through law school, was in DC, saw a lot of things that weren't covered in the media, a lot of topics that people weren't covering. So I think that drove me to kind of the alternate perspective, even before 9-11. So I was definitely looking for other an analyst or something that were corporate in any way, shape, or form or any any magazine. So I was really kind of reading alternate stuff. And I was finding that there was a good, you know, analysis of certain topics that were different than maybe uh, what the kind of media complex was or media conglomerates were telling people with the truth. So that really started me out, at least the seedlings of it. Then 9-11 happened. I was always kind of doing research on my own. I often would be spend time reading on different subjects and that really just kind of led to my first book. I was a 9-11 researcher. I'm not independently. I wasn't uh, part of any group or anything like that. I mean, I'd seen kind of intel infiltrations for decades, so I didn't get involved in any of that stuff.
0: So, so would, I, would you say just, to, sorry to interrupt you, that 9-11 kind of woke you up to, to possibly there was a conspiracy happening bigger and that was something a subject? Well, were- I would
1: say I mean I worked briefly on the on the uh, death of Vince Foster in D.C. as a kind of an intern. So I had seen different stories where they said it's a suicide, and I knew that was complete baloney. So that was really kind of really the beginning where you can see entire groups, political parties having a a set line, almost like uh, you know this is the communist view and don't variate from this or the Nazi view. So that was really kind of an eye opener too. Is like you can see that these political parties have an enforcement arm of what the story they're telling the public, whether it's talking points that are distributed between the groups or something like that. So that was really an eye opener. And you can see how those ideas are disseminated, not through the party system, but also through the corporate media and uh, their media lackeys and media suck ups and lick really contemptible people who are in the corporate media, in my opinion. So I'd say that was really my wake up. I actually about nine eleven, the cover story was real when it first happened, which I'm not proud to say. But like two thousand three, two thousand four, I was like, "There's something really wrong here." And once I realized that the government story was fake, that's kind of what drew me in even farther to try to figure out what was going on. And so that was really kind of another start. And so that led to my first book, Prophet of Evil," which is "Profit of Evil: Alistair Crowley, Nine Eleven, and the New World Order," which was really self-published. I was a no—I mean. I wasn't really a public figure so I really just printed that book out on a printer and, and bound it myself the original edition I think it's on its third edition now but it was very underground kind of had an underground feel my first book and uh, that's really was it and it was really just kind of about Alistair Crowley It's really a, the biographies of Alistair Crowley the fawning ones left out so much important information and even the academic ones weren't I didn't think they were that good so I really went back and looked at the core documents of what Alistair Crowley wrote, wrote and also people who knew and saw him. So characters like J.F.C. Fuller or uh, Hemingway or some of these other people who had vignettes about Crowley that really varied from this kind of, uh, at least when I wrote that book, Crowley was like a liberator of the human spirit. There was a lot. I mean, most of the public stuff. And a lot of people wouldn't say he was even a Satanist. Like, I think that the the occultists and people who had really formed his character in the public mind really were dominant and people didn't understand how deep Crowley went when he admitted that this entity was Satan, whether that really happened or not. I guess you have to leave that up to viewer. Anyway, that was really what my book, my book was ripped off by uh, this guy S.K. Bain, in my opinion, and uh, took out all the Crowley stuff that's vital to understanding Alistair Crowley. So people who read that book, read that book. Uh, yeah, it's too bad. Anyway, so that was kind of a wake up call. It was also kind of get had the uh, what it felt like to be ripped off or something like that. So uh, that wasn't a that wasn't a good experience by a so called reputable publisher too. So really shameful. Uh, Grotesques. Kind of you humor.
0: feel uh, they were in the inner circle and that was ordered to be done, or they were just some guys? Well, it's still that's anywhere? a
1: great question. If you had, I mean, you probably know this, might know this, but if you have an intro written by Peter Lavenda, who's probably written the Necronomicon, who is, I've seen in rituals, OTO rituals with other characters like when who just passed away, who are known OTO figures, and is writing a lot about the occult, and the Necronomicon's been like, Treated as if it was real, right? It was written out of a fictional part of Lovecraft, right? And it's a put around real. But these guys from like the, if you know the vampire crew, uh, this, what was his name, Basago, the kid's name was, uh, I can't remember, but they carried around that book like it was real and they brutalized and murdered two people. So these have real world effects. So Lavenda writes the intro to this book, the most dangerous book in the world, which should tell, what should be a massive red flag. And in my opinion, that book, if it was, to, if you took my book, which I published in 2010 and took their book, which published 2012, and you gave it to an academic, maybe somebody at a reputable university, they would, and they compared the two books, they would be brought up for, act like, uh, like they would probably, they would definitely, in my opinion, be brought up as some kind of like uh, you know, stealing other people's ideas, so it was—it's grotesque. And actually, what they left out was some of the—I mean, as even as Orwell says, omission is the greatest por- part of uh, greatest form of lie. So the fact that they left out all the important Crowley stuff and the Satanism, and and it reiterated, and then ended it up with some kind of baloney about a possible nuclear bomb that was going to go off in their stupid calculations in uh, Arizona and their analysis and they i mean it's just it's really embarrassing and so when i see people talking and, and talk to these guys i'm like oh man but i was also kind of dissuaded personally from complaining because i was a minnow i was unknown so it's kind of like the big fish eats the little fish sure at least in my opinion and also you kind of sound like a, a bitter kind of uh you know Whiner, you know, if you whine about stuff like that, at least that was my feeling back then. Now I'm much more willing to talk about it, and I'm trying to put the work together to show how bad it really is. It's really bad. It's really <laughs> bad. So uh, I will totally be vindicated in time. There's no doubt about it. So that's really was my first book, and then um, really kind of because I didn't really know about. I mean, the corporate media really doesn't tell you that occultism influences cultural events. Uh, they leave a lot of stuff out of the Manson case, barely even covered, you know, uh, the process church and all that stuff, their connection to Leary, all these other characters. So that was really kind of what I wanted to see was, is this actually a real event? Is this all satanic panic? There were all these kind of loaded terms, dissuading people from properly analyzing this in a cogent, incredible manner. And that kind of led me to my second book, which was um, Abomination. Devil worship and deception in the West Memphis Three murders. Like I thought, all the public stuff that they had was a complete travesty, and still is a travesty, really. Uh, and it's there's no there's no doubt those guys are guilty at law, like actual real world meaning guilty, and they've signed on the dotted line that they were guilty in 2011. So um, that was my second book that that caused me a lot of. Problem. I felt like I was there was a small group of kind of credible dispassionate people who could read who knew that there was a real problem and then there was a much larger group of a mob that were really manipulated in my opinion by people by people in the West Memphis Street, but also a lot of celebritards and a lot of celebrity types very people who I uh, have a derision towards who helped, really were the ones that kind of created this whole movement to get them these dangerous people in my opinion dangerous people out of jail and uh, so that was kind of an interesting experience. I had my book taken off of Amazon. Uh, I had th- all kinds of weird threats and strange things. So that was 2014.
0: That was abomination. That got yeah. taken off. Okay, gotcha. Yeah.
1: So I got taken off and put back. They actually accused me of um, accused me of copyright by by commentary on certain pictures that were on there, certain artwork, which I had no idea. I wasn't reselling it for my own financial benefit. It was for color and commentary, which is allowable uh, for fair use. So they, I think they understood that and they put it back up. So I don't think, I think that um, Ecclesologists is what they call the Eccles followers. It was coined by Trench Re- Reynolds. He was kind of a true crime writer. Uh, He's a really smart guy. I think his analysis on a lot of these true crime cases is spot on, but he went through the grief too. Uh, they really came after him. He. It was much harder for him. I had been through some pretty intense storms in my past. So taking the ecclesiologist for me was just another kind of chapter. But uh, anyway, uh, that, was my, that was 2014. I think I'm on my second edition of that book. Then I wrote Children of the Beast. I really actually was re- researching Children of the Beast, which was my follow up to Prophet of Evil, which is how many people Crowley influenced. So it was during that research that I came across a video of Damien. I didn't know much about the West Memphis Three case, which in a lot of ways is really good because it gave me kind of a thanks Plank Slate tabula rasa kind of approach. But it was during my research into Children of the Beast that I came across this video of Eccles and on the table of the prosecutor was Crowley's uh, Magic and Theory and Practice. I'm like, what? Crowley was involved in this? And they were actually asking him questions about Crowley. They're asking him questions on the stand. Why are you writing the secret alphabet with alistair crowley um alistair crowley's name in it with jason baldwin so um anyway so that's what led me to actually write i actually stopped writing children of the beast wrote abomination then i went back and wrote children of the beast that was 2016 then i did another one kind of alistair crowley a visual study which is only a digital copy and uh then i've got five documentaries i kind of got Sidetracked in 2017-18 about this whole thing. It was really not a sidetrack, but to the whole phenomenon of young men disappearing at night being found in water, which uh, at first glance I thought was um, an urban myth. And uh, and then I started watching people kind of start dying, like literally my first case that I followed that, which was covered by a pretty well-known podcast called True Crime Garage, which is a true crime podcast, but his name was Joey Labute out of Columbus, Ohio. So he disappeared and 19 days later, found in water. And I said, if this guy gets found in water, it's bad. And sure enough, he was found in water in a place previously searched. And that really kind of started my research. So then I synced up with Jim Smith, who became my director, who I recommend if people want to look into the um, smiley face death phenomenon. It's really just, you can call it, you can get rid of the smiley face. That term was coined by two guys, Gilbertson and Gannon. One is a criminologist. The other was a detective out of New York but they, they found a correlation or connection between these deaths and the, the use of a smiley face. And, and it, there is some kind of occult element to that, which is a much larger cultural issue. But, so I made my first documentary on 2017 about that, then a follow-up one. I have five documentaries right now on um, Vimeo, two on the smiley face killers, one a cult Hollywood. I had made these two really crappy documentaries in 2010. One was Prophet of Evil and the other was Cult Hollywood. So I redid those 10 years later. They're still not great, great uh, uh, production values, but you can see them on Vimeo. I think they're unique, at least in their research. And then two on, like I said, Smiley Face Killers and then another Children of the Beast. So you can kind of see this visual element. Some people learn better through visual type studies. And uh, then I just pro- published this year. I actually just finished upgrading all that information today on my fifth book, which is Global Death Cult, which is about the Order of Nine Angles and its global influence. And people are reading this stuff online and actually acting it out in the real world. So uh, that is my most recent. It kind of keeps that continuum of kind of researching the occult. And uh, you know, these people are actually reading this stuff and doing bad things. And uh, that's kind of like the short kind of overall narrative since I became public in 2010. And,
0: uh, yeah, that's, a, turned, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's a great synopsis. And, you know, my research is similar to yours. You're, you're going down, you know, one path or one angle, and then you, you find this other evidence or this research and they all start seem to, as, as you get further into it, they start crossing the paths, and you come across Crowley and, and Satanism and then you come across, who they influence and you come across Damien Eccles and you come across pedophilia and all these different things. And you know, I've been interviewing people here on the Gnostic Warriors since 2009 and I've had high priests from the, the Church of Satan. Um, I'm not a Satanist myself, but I, I wanted to, to get them on the show to see what they would say. And I, I, that's why I had just different people on over the years. I had Mark Passio who was a member of the church before and he's adamantly against them now. Um, and then I, I kept seeing the same thing and I would get books sent to me by various publishers because I'm kind of a public figure and I'm doing podcasts, I'm interviewing authors. So I would have these occult uh, publishers send me stuff, you know, the Alistair Crowley books, the Tobias- or something, which,
1: which it, publishing houses were that? Um, Feral House, Feral?
0: No, it wasn't Feral. Um, I'll look in a second here when you're, when you're talking. It's okay, I'm just curious, sorry to okay. that, No, that's okay. Um, but in any event, I just kept reading through these books on, on Aleister Crowley specifically. And then I also interviewed several people that had written some of these books and they were leaving out a lot of this important research, as you had mentioned, and, and really more like, this is the greatest guy and, and he influenced everybody. And, you know, we should look up to him was more of the Alonzo and, and some of these authors, I, I actually like their other books. And then I would see this, this common theme. And then I, uh, you know, I, I kind of put it to the side. And really, I, I knew there's things that are hidden and, and different things. But I kept seeing the satanic panic. And then I started researching, I have a, a podcast called The Cult of Demons, I, I kind of dropped off it a little bit. But I, it's basically the premise of people that are influenced and, and talked about, hey, murdering someone or doing these crimes. And they, they mentioned, hey, I'm a satanist, or, you know, these demons, I heard these demons in my ears, you know, and I'd be like, what's this? And you, you literally would see, murder after murder and you could google it and literally they're still doing them today like you you say they these people are influenced by something so that was my research going to what are these people being influenced by what are they why are they doing this and a lot of them seemed really uneducated and didn't have as much knowledge like you and i but they were repeating this you know and someone just recently in the uk you know killed these two ladies in a park because he wanted to win the lottery daniel hussein gotcha yeah i wrote on him as well and you, you find, and then you go on YouTube and and there's guys that are teaching black magic, be a God, you know, live. You right, know, it and- was EA
1: Coetting who yeah. uh, was the one who taught him. Interesting story. When I first published my first book, I was in an interview with EA Coetting 2010, uh, Truth Frequency Radio. I wish I could find that. If anybody out there has a copy of that interview I did with EA Coetting and uh, Chris Geo. Chris Geo actually pretty much ambushed me with, him he kind of came out so i had a real kind of strange connection with that guy
0: interesting yeah have you talked to him since then or yeah
1: quitting no i have no interest i'm not really the the type i don't really want to reach out to any occultists i don't don't have any anything that i would find valuable especially if they're just bsing like i think i saw it on yours you had horowitz or you were talking about mitch horowitz it's the same thing man they just run, run around the bush and tell baloney stories i mean that's kind of part of their magic right it's just
0: right. To, lies yeah i mean uh, a lot of people don't know i mean black magic it's, it's basically lies and whatever they need to do to get themselves ahead you know and i i just kept seeing this this common theme and then these people being influenced so that's what what gathered drawn me to it and of course i've been seeing your work over the years on various podcasts and so forth and it really, it perturbed me because the the children are being indoctrinated and me having my own children and and them going on the internet and going to YouTube. I just, I was just like, these guys are are operating in the open and they're lying and and people are dying and they're murdering people. And it's just like, why can't the, the deep state CIA or FBI just figure this out? And then you start seeing them involved somehow in this stuff. And it's like, wait a second, you know? So Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, What is your thoughts on Alistair Crowley, MI6 agent? There's always some type of deep state involvement. And then, for example, you you mentioned Peter Lavenda, who was tied into the stars and all these high level government people.
1: Podesta, there's pictures of him with Podesta and that character from Blink-182. Have you ever seen that picture?
0: No, no. Let me see
1: if I can pull it up. Yeah, Um, but he's involved. See, that's the whole thing is like, That's the whole thing is whether he ghost wrote that book, the most dangerous book in the world, because I'm pretty sure he ghost wrote that book for, uh, what's his name, To the Stars Academy. I can't remember it right now, but uh, it'll come to me. But he was the lead singer, one of the singers. Blink-182, right? But uh, anyway, um, so Cruelly was part of the SIS Secret Intelligence Service precursor to when it got split off to MI5 MI6. Okay. so he's right there at the very beginning at the very apex of the british empire really the high water mark was probably right at the turn of the century um and they probably probably was recruited right out of cambridge and so that he started if you know like his history he went to russia i think it was in 1904 he was born in 1875 so he went to Russia actually before 1904. So at an early age, he's tinkering around in Russia and getting all this information. It probably was sending information back to England from 1900 to 1935 when he was in Germany and right there at the, in the Weimar Republic. It's really an incredible moment to think that Crowley is there right as Hitler comes to power. I mean, he was in, and I mean, he was there he was at that uh, Black mar- Shirt March on Rome with Mussolini, right? That was inspi- that inspired Hitler to do his own failed putsch. Um, so he was there. He was also in the U.S. talking to people in New York, doing ridiculous stunts and trying to get the U.S. involved in World War I. There's a really good book about that called Secret, a- Secret Agent 666, which uh, confirmed that he was a member. That's really one of the main if not only confirmations of Crowley as an agent right so that's right that's a very important book in understanding Crowley uh, in my opinion
0: and yeah so that's
1: like the that's the intel and then an even larger thing is how many of these people in intelligence are occultists which there is definitely a kind of double helix of uh, experience of uh, you know if you look at skull and bones and stuff like that
0: Sure, and I mean, we look at the founding of the United States of America. I mean, it was essentially Freemasons. You had Rosicrucians involved with it. You had the Jesuits, right, who interline with there. And you'll see later on. I think in, in more modern history, some uh, priest in the, in the Catholic Church that are members of the OTO. I had Leo Zagami um, on the podcast. You know, he's a he was a P two Freemason. I don't know if he's still involved. Sometimes he says he is. He isn't. Um, But in any event, he was the one sounding the alarm about the gay mafia inside the the Catholic church and and all these different things. So, you know, I was interviewing him nine, 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, during Obama, just to give you an example, I was living in Carlsbad here in Carlsbad, California, and I'm doing an interview with Leo and and he's literally he's in the Vatican or Rome area. And he's all, you know, he's talking about Obama and they're going to send you know, he called him a, 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 a nigga, you know, and this and that. And then he said, yeah, we're, we're going to send a nuclear bomb and just drop it in the United States. And I'm, I'm doing a podcast and I'm going, wait a second. This is this guy is threatening the United States with a bomb. And I didn't know what to do. So I actually I called the Secret Service. <laughs> I was like, what do I do? You know, uh, someone threatened the president of the United States. I was doing a podcast. I don't know if it's real, but I wanted to let you guys know. And they came to my house in Carlsbad and they, they got my interview. On oh. uh, CD, but anyways, um, a few months later, had a fallout with him and various people, and then I uh, had my door broken in in the middle of the day, and then all my laptops, everything stolen, and wow. just because of that interview, huh? I I believe there was other things that that happened after that. I I um, became friends with with Leo at the time, and then um, uh, something happened. My son got sick uh, from mold, and um, I was at a, a low point in my life and income wise, and. Um, I reached out to, to Leo and various people just like, Hey, can you, know, you, you help out or what, you know, can you give me advice? And like, he, he ignored me. Um, but he was probably busy or whatever. And I just literally I, I messaged him, you know, F you, you know, you, you, you're bullshit like this and that. And, and then I wrote a post on my blog about the brotherhood and Freemasonry, and it, it's fake and this and that. And then um, within two days, my my door was broken into all my stuff stolen. And then the Carlsbad PD comes to my house and they do an investigation and they do boom, boom. And then I get a call the next day, literally a detective from the Carlsbad PD. And he was like, uh, we're closing down the investigation we can't find anything. I was like, after less than a day, and he was like, uh, yeah, we oh,
1: couldn't find anything on him.
0: No, on, on, on anything on the, anything, on the, the burglary. Oh, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and some guy comes by on a chopper when the burglary happened it was just a, it's a weird story it was almost like they were letting me know that they broke into the house you know
1: oh right oh well yeah, yeah i wouldn't be surprised uh.
0: yeah so secret service is thing- really
1: part of the secret service is black bag jobs i'll just leave it at that can you give me permission to uh share screen i think you have to go back to where you gave me permission yeah, of to record yeah yeah where permission to record and then i'll show you this picture it's a good one yeah Tom DeLong is, by the way, the guy's name.
0: Yeah, there That's you go.
1: I think he's from right around you, Carlsbad, or
0: uh, yeah, San Diego and Sanitas San area. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you get? It says uh, multiple. Here you go. It'll okay, pop cool. up.
1: There it is. Can you see it?
0: Yeah. Wow. So
1: there's Lavenda, so DeLong, Lavenda, Podesta, Spirit Cooker, and then I think the guy in the plaid shirt is another co-author to the Stars Academy.
0: But yeah, this if you want to were that. rather effeminate, i do seen a lot of that, you know, recently, um, several, several of these guys have gotten busted in Washington, there was a guy i had written about he looked like a the kid next door. And um, they arrested him uh, for involved with child porn. And he was, you know, saying he wants to screw babies and hear them scream literally infants. Um, and then he had a couple other buddies in Washington, they literally all look like that. It's interesting. There was a whole thing. I don't
1: know if you heard about the Leo Frank scandal, but he was literally running a gay prostitution ring. And he said, if anybody busts me, I will release all of my records. And he never got busted. He never got, a, he never got uh, arrested. And there's pictures of Leo. I mean, it's an interesting story because people are like, Pizzagate is fake. But there's pictures of Frank with, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Elephantus. And then the other guy from Media Matters, whose name I can't remember right now, but they've, yeah, they're they're networked. But you you know, the thing is, is that they all maintain each other through blackmail. So if you, it's like a mob or something, if everybody's dirty, then nobody wants to talk. So they want people to be dirty so that they can stay in power. So they want to hear your stories about um, grift, graft, fraud, and then they know that's the power.
0: Yeah, I feel like I've been... uh they tried to compromise me. I don't know again, who, or, or what, um, I had a a guy that I was trying to get involved when I first, uh, got involved in research and so forth. Um, you know, I grew up kind of a loner and I just wanted to be involved with something, not with Satanism, but like a a brotherhood, you know, and, um, I got busted when I was uh, younger, um, various uh, felonies for growing marijuana and different things. And that precluded, precluded me from Freemasonry and different things. And, um, I joined these various little orders thinking, you know, Hey, these are legitimate. But anyways, I ran across this uh, one guy, I forget who he was, but he ended up being a homosexual. He's a 32nd degree Freemason. He was a member of the OTO as well. And he, he came over my house a couple of times, befriended me and I interviewed him and then uh, he came to my house and he kept trying to give me the, the, the book uh, OTO book. I forget what it was called, Um, but he had sent it to me. And then he was telling me about the ninth degree and, you know the the sexual kind of thing and i was like keep that shit away from me dude you know what i mean i don't care if you're homosexual but if someone starts putting things or propagandizing me that's when i say no you know or
1: but how many other people did he try that of course is another story right so maybe yeah
0: um, yeah so long story short i broke off the friendship and that guy started harassing me came by one day broke my um uh mailbox all these different things and uh just this weird guy but um you've had yeah, rough, just... man
1: you've had some tough uh, experiences with these occultists but they're mm-hmm. nasty characters if you look at Crowley one of the things I didn't come across but came across later was in his record of the b666 is that he was raping his kids who were like one or two years old and yeah. he writes about it so that was another I mean it was just a further unraveling of the Crowley kind of onion when you look at it yourself It's kind of like reading the Bible yourself, like other people are telling you what's in the Bible. When you read it yourself, you get a completely, in my opinion, much better view uh, than what somebody else is telling you, whatever, for whatever political reason or financial reason. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was really something else about Crowley.
0: Yeah. And let's talk a little bit more about Crowley, you know, his involvement with the MI6 and the various uh, intelligence agencies. Do you believe that he was groomed to be that person or he was that person and then he was recruited or he became that role. So you hear about FBI agents, DEA agents and they become like a drug dealer and it's almost like they, they become that person for several years. Sometimes they change their language, the way they look. What's scroll- the role? There's
1: been, have you heard of those stories where the FBI agent becomes such a deep agent like he has his own relationship with women under his fake persona? Like that's how deep it goes? There's yes. been a couple of lawsuits like that where the women are like, I thought he was a different person. I didn't know he was a cop, and but he was just playing the role out. So, yeah. So well, the, I've been asked that question many times. It's not the first question. Was Crowley a fake or was he playing that role to, um, to kind of uh, blackmail people or get people involved? And I think that looking back at his everything, I mean, he really went through the personality change when he went to Cambridge. He was kind of from a rigid, exclusive brethren, right? So uh, it—he uh, didn't really like his childhood. He thought it was cold boiled Jesus all the time. So he turned, but he in his in his autobiography, right, the auto hagiography of Crowley, which is kind of like a play on kind of being a saint. But he admits that at some point, he changed over and he wanted to be the chief of staff of the devil. So that's something outside of his this public persona i think that in that portrait of himself was written i think after world war 1 so i think he was writing it kind of in the early 20s so he's like 40 45 and so i think that that was part of his personality i do think that that was i don't think he was joking around and if you look at all the work like you never really had a normal job like somebody were he nine to five or have to do a job. So he spent his time. He chose to spend his time doing occultism. So he's not spending his time doing intel work. So I mean, although that's a side element of, I think his his life is that. And I mean, it's a, a key component. But he never. I don't know if he ever really got paid for those jobs. There's no evidence of that. But um, he's putting out just a, the corpus of Crowley really is remarkable because he really was a literateur. like I've written four books, that guy wrote four books in the two months, you know, he's putting out poetry, and plays, and books, and occult books, um, he really did that, I mean, he really worked hard at it, and some people have made that kind of comment that he almost had a Puritan's view, a Puritan's like the Protestant work ethics view of being an occultist, you know, this Weber word, the Protestant work ethic, or whatever, but he was an occultist, so, I think that in my position, in my view of Crowley, is that he really was somebody who was an adventurer in the occult. And it was was really, I mean, his magical name was Perdurabo, right? I will endure. And you can see it all the way to the end, in 1945, 46, that are people who were around him. This guy McMurtry, who became kind of an OTO head, said he wasn't sure what he would see in Crowley. And here's Crowley screaming at people who were trying to sing Christmas carols, right? So... And also he's stating things about Hitler, like, before Hitler was, I am. So he never really, even to his death, I don't, I think that he stayed within the occult. He's writing this book. He wrote something called Magic Without Tears, which is really a compendium of his writings to these people, people who came to Crowley as for occult wisdom, right? So he's still typing away, like, he died at 72. So in his late 60s, early 70s, he's still addicted to teaching people and being at that that uh, kind of magister of the temple he still has that role that he wanted really was to be kind of this uh, magus right and i think that he really was, i mean people who are around him said that like there was this guy gerald york a lot of people don't know but he said he really was a magus like he had he was kind of like an occult encyclopedic scholar and I, you can see that in distilled in his writings so That's not coming from somebody in an intel agency giving him the stuff to put out and like walk around like uh, Jeffrey Epstein, like a front. Like Epstein's, to me, he's obviously a front. Like it's a perfect example of an intel person. And I think that uh, if you look at Maxwell, I think your trial date is in November. Um, She is really probably the cultured smart one between Epstein who doesn't really have that kind of background. He didn't come from a wealthy family, even though he died with tons of money. But I mean, that's an example of somebody who has, you call it an Intel legend, like, oh, you're a rich guy and you've got this nice house you don't own. Somebody gave it to you for a dollar and you live in an island and you have uh, planes that you don't own. So you can see that as a front where somebody's giving, nobody gave Crowley anything like that. He was he was probably dissipated his $20 million inheritance probably, I think in the mid twenties or the early thirties. So he didn't need that money. He had the equivalent of $20 million. So that's a long answer to your question. I don't think that, uh, yeah, I don't think he was a front, although he really was a British royalist loyalist. He was always Brit- uh, loyal to the crown. And th- I mean, one of the aspects of him is like he's supposedly working for the Irish liberation, right, in World War One, which was an aspect of World War One. was the Irish trying to uh, get away from, from uh, being part of the UK. And then, but still being let back into London and his house is, you know, in, eventually ended up in Hastings, but still being allowed around in London, whereas traitors to the crown, uh, their, their punishment for treason was to be home. So he never got home. So that should tell you a lot about what he was up to.
0: Sure. And talk, let's talk a little bit about London, you know, that you have the London bar, and then all the various legal bars, you you happen to be an attorney right here in California. Uh, What is your Theory or your information in regards to london and the power there is it still there or
1: well there i think there really is kind of like a power behind it. i think the the queen and the royal family are super powerful they have all their public stuff about how much they own is a bunch of baloney because they literally own the land underneath what everybody leases in do you say you you own your property in london but underneath that ownership is the queen owns it. So she can retract it at any time. She's a superpower. So the city of London, DC, the Vatican, uh, definitely have their own set of rules. And and there are a lot of those people who are in there, uh, certainly in the city of London, are from old line, you know, uh, royal families, titled families, going back to the Battle of Hastings in 1066. So, uh, so, the kind of I think they're 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 so powerful they they have, just like the Rockefellers are super powerful maybe the Rothschilds still but they don't need to publish or, or brag about their power that's typically the sign of real power because the people who are flaunting their money usually don't have any but the people with real money don't want people to know but the queen is super is uh, really one of the most powerful people in the world she's up there with like Solomon ben, uh Mohammed bin Salman or whatever the guy who is the king of Saudi Arabia, who has a trillion, literally a trillionaire based upon value of oil that's underneath the sand there. And she, the Commonwealth is still under there. I mean, you can, you can listen to uh, that whack job, Prime Minister Trudeau in Canada, when he became Prime Minister, he did had to do this kind of like uh, oath of fealty to the Queen still to this day. And she can override anything in the House of Commons or House of Lords, but they're smarter than kind of like Nicholas II out of Russia. He was a buffoon and, and uh, led to his family's death, but she doesn't get, you know, there's no obvious involvement, whereas Nicholas II got rid of the Duma twice, which was really stupid. And uh, yeah, so um, there are secret orders in, in, I mean, you talk about religious groups or the OTO or... The masons, but the, the the levels of the secret orders in the royal family too are almost like an occult group. So
0: yeah, the various uh, knighthoods and so forth, right? Tons,
1: yeah. Order of the garter. Go really go read about the order of the garter. They have, I mean, and they actually kind of like Opus Dei, which is the Catholics, right? But that garter isn't like a woman's garter. You well wear a piece of metal around your thigh and you dead, you're almost like an SS officer. You dedicate your existence to the perpetuation of the queen. And when those be I, yeah, I mean, it's very serious. Like they don't, I don't, yeah.
0: What do you believe about, you know, Harry coming over here to California? We have, you know, and he's a, a, supposed to be the, I believe the leader of Freemasonry. And then he's over here and they're playing in the public. Like they're, they're fighting. Do you believe they're coming over here for another reason?
1: Well, I, th- I think really, I did an interview about um, what Trader King, who was supposed to be the heir to the throne but he supposedly married this girl from America and left, it was, uh, was it the fifth, Henry I I can't remember which, what, what his title was, but uh, he was, I mean, it was kind of like they egged him out. They realized that he wasn't really a metal to be king. He didn't have that kind of temperament and he wasn't very intelligent and he wasn't, so he was not intelligent enough to prevent him from being elbowed out of the throne right so he then he moved to france and then came to bermuda so i think that harry is very similar to him where he is seen as a potential meddler and it's much better for the royal family to have him in the united states and california doing whatever he want just like this other guy i can't remember his name right now it's pretty embarrassing but he they gave him tons of money and he lived a very regal life of uh a gentleman jet set and had all kinds of nice meals but he was not involved in world war ii in any way shape or form he was actually kind of a traitor i mean i think that people make this allegation he was sending information to the germans he just wasn't very bright so he he was uh, easily malleable and so i see harry is that kind of same thing get him out marry this okay go to california bye
0: and they have, of course, <clears throat> they're the last name, Mountain Baden, and if we look at that, you have the, the various Badens of Germany, um, so they're aligned to Germany as well, right?
1: Well, I mean, right, the House of Windsor was formerly known before World War I was the House Saxe-Coburg-Gotha, So they and they've always kind of intermarried, and I think the current Queen's husband who just died was literally like the son of an SS officer, so he was from Bavaria, I think, so I think that there was definitely, and actually... A lot of the royals of europe were kind of interrelated and german you can see some of the royals from the uk look exactly like the house of romanov because they're from the same kind of bloodline they look literally the same they have the same beard same facial structure um a lot of people don't know that but uh, so a lot of the a lot of those houses and i think i can't remember his name either but um yeah so as far as like And I think they're all kind of into eugenics too and breeding and all that stuff very important. Like I remember Diana uh, to become the, uh, what is it, the married Prince Charles, they literally had to do a gynecological check to make sure that her hymen was intact. So like that was the kind of environment she was in. I think she always bristled against that of the kind of coldness and and, uh, sterility and rigidity of being kind of a royal i think that you your family's meddling with you all the time yeah? you never can get away with it because there's a lot of responsibility actually i mean if you're a part of these orders and you have uncalculable wealth uh every little kind of thing you say and do is is going to be analyzed and judged i think
0: and that's what I, I feel a lot of, you know, Americans or people that go into the conspiracy realm or research, they don't understand that there's still an aristocratic order uh, running things no in, question. in the world. No and, question. and would you believe that, you know, when I when I research the aristocrats, it doesn't seem like they're, you know, again, it could be behind the scenes. And I know you've done some research back 500 years of various people that were royals, and they were um, pedophiles or so forth. But I don't see that at the very top, it seems like it's almost something that's released into the into the public, like to the plebs, you know, and um, as you had mentioned, a, a way to control people, do you feel, you know, from Crowley, all these things going on in Washington, Podesta, whatever it may be that these, you know, a lot of these people, I look at them, they're like, they started out just like you and I like they weren't royals or some member of a family, but they decided to go down a certain road, and they might be involved in government or various things, but they're really expendable but they decide to do this. And I just keep seeing the same kind of thing. I was just like, these guys are no different than us, but they chose to get to this level and they're doing depravity and they're doing it to other people, but it doesn't seem to possibly go to the very top, almost like it's a controlled type of thing. What do you feel?
1: Well, you know, it depends. Like, I mean, how do people achieve or how do people success or politics or how are they rising up in corporations? Or um, so it's, uh, how do people get ahead? How do people, you know, I think that that's a good question. And some people, I think, like, if you look at a lot of even our political leaders, some people have been groomed to get into politics to be a front person for very wealthy. If you look at Bill Clinton and where he came from and his real, I don't even know what his real name is, not Blythe or Clinton, but he was great. He was a chosen child for some reason in a way that you would think publicly he was just super ambitious and really smart and and got into the right place at the right time yeah no Yes. so i mean that's one example so what i mean by that if you ask that question how people rise up they're serving powers maybe aristocratic powers financial powers uh could be anything and a lot of those financial powers always want and have to have control about somebody in political power they don't want to have somebody ever go against them
0: so So they need they need sociopaths and psychopaths
1: somebody who will who will do what they're told you know, for whatever for reason.
0: <laughs> for money, usually, right? Money or and power.
1: power, you know, uh, lackey, a factotum. I mean, if you look at Wilson, right? If you look at President Wilson uh, back in uh, before World War One, he was actually kind of a progressive who, who was supposed to come in and make beneficial change because the banking system had all these problems. What does he do? His solution was the worst thing that could ever happen. So he actually was a chump. and was chumped by very powerful powers who put in the Federal Reserve. So that's one example of some of the, the money power manipulating people. And they were trying to do the same thing under Jackson, at least here, right? So they really wanted to control the National Bank. And Jackson said over my dead body, and they were trying to kill him all the time. Like he, he, he I don't know how Jackson even survived. I think somebody put a gun up to his chest and it misfired like twice. Wow. And anyway, I think it was tied back to the banking cartel. So to talk about how people get up, Look at people in, in uh, Hollywood or something, how do you succeed there? You find like a very wealthy kind of benefactor or something and you learn from them. There's all kinds of strange things that have happened to how people have have grown up by, by sucking up. I mean, even like you look at Hitler, like he's sucking up to the right there to some of these characters and then he gets into power and everything reversed. But these are all examples of people without the financial resources who make those decisions to do what you need to do to obtain political power. It really goes into the psychology, I mean, it's not, I don't know if it's the subject of what I know, but it's the psychology of power and what people are willing to do to get it.
0: Gotcha. And do you feel this is, you know, we, we see this happening now, do you feel this is the, gonna happen forever um, as far as the, the way that we're, we're ruled and via and lies with the corporate media? And of course it's being taken to a different level now, right?
1: Right. Well, I think people are bristling. They're trying to get away from the accumulation of that much power. So like for me, I got off of Facebook and Twitter. I'll never go back on there. And some people just think like you're out of your mind. And I'm, I think they're out of their mind to actually give big tech that kind of power. So you know, it's a very interesting kind of uh, situation, fluid situation we're in, where the Americans have found like 2020 was an obvious sign that the entire Politic, I mean, the entire voting system's fake. <laughs> it's just a total fraud. And Biden could not have won. There's no way. The guy can't even tie his shoes. So uh, a lot of people who are thinking people are like, how are we going to solve this problem? Like people are thinking like, oh, I'm going to vote in 2022. Well, your vote didn't mean squat in 2020. So uh, going back and thinking that your vote's going to count in 2022 couldn't be any more stupid. But I think that's part of the larger issue is like, even like the, where they're realizing it's a... Fascistic system of control, scientistical system of control that involves a corporate media, technology faking technology. Even on being on Twitter and Facebook, you don't even know what your stuff is going. Whether it's being ghosted, whether those likes are like not bots, it's a total fantasy land. Anybody is even on there. Okay, whatever.
0: I, listen i i believe they're they're great mind control because it, it controls my mind and i i know sure. all about this stuff yeah no, and then I mean, i'll it's go even, on
1: it's even worse it's even more funny because like i'm i believe jesus christ is inside like i'm a christian but you'll hear people like i mean that people don't understand what zuckerberg did he took 450 million dollars to make sure that these vote fraud boxes were there so people could just dump ballots in there so he was involved in involvement in the election that any functioning legal system would be like okay let's investigate this more as a lawyer as a lawyer i mean there's real we're in a crisis like it's a supreme crisis right now it's not even funny it's really about the future of the country because we're really in a kind of a pre-civil war situation where two sections of the populace do not get along and that's what happened and broke out in the civil war is they just over time if you read the lead up to the civil war all the usurpations, abuses, the fights over states' rights in like uh, Kansas, Nebraska—who's going to be a slave state? Who's going to be a, a free state? They just led up to the Civil War, so it was kind of an inevitable continuum. And there were abuses. I think it was raid on Harper's Ferry. It was John Brown was the first? I think there was a caning in Congress where people were so pissed off, one guy ended up with like permanent brain damage, and then the attack on Fort Sumter. So it was it. The, the, we're in that situation where if you have one or two events right now people are just done they're not there you can just go watch these people scream at each other in congress yeah um so we're we're really not that far away It's and i think that was probably the same way of like civil war like oh yeah la-di-da you know and then all of a sudden like antietam happened where just thousands and thousands of people died probably the same thing happened in world war ii world war one so we're really at that state it's very um it's very perilous and i don't see people uh you know kind of pulling back which is really bad so i your question original question is is this what we're going to put up for the rest of our lives we're at a point where we have to decide whether you want to live free or die you know like i do want to maintain freedom for yourself and your kids because if people are stealing elections we're not free and they can't prove elect that they won an election and i mean i think that's i mean it's supposedly a free country Sure. Um,
0: and would you say that the powers that be are working through the media to, to make this division? Because before, when absolutely. I looked at it, yeah, so, but before we had all these different ideas, people were all over the place, but now they got us zeroed in. And like, when I look, it's, it's the mask people against the the non-mask people or the vaccine people against the, the non-vaccine. I mean, it's literally that when I, I'm looking at the fights going on right now where people are drawing their their line. Now you have police, military um, all these different people were before they they would never wake up to any of what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, no, it's an excellent point because what you're doing each one of those person is had to walk out of their job or do that is now an activist and that's a real problem for just the ruling class or the societal. You know cohesion right now, because those people have, have risked everything they've risked their well being their livelihood so. People who run this country should be very concerned when people, you know, have to make those options. And that's really dangerous, too, is this kind of binary system, like, if you're on this side, then you believe this, and I'm on this side, and I believe that. So, um, and I think that the the COVID-19 was horrifically mismanaged. I think that the solution was a very, I mean, cheap drugs and therapeutics, and they decided to get this very, da- in my opinion, a very dangerous vaccine. It's really not a vaccine. Very dangerous clot shot um, mm-hmm. that's expensive. So they could make a lot of money. They couldn't have cheap options. So there really should be ner- another Nuremberg for what happened. And really it involves Trump too. It involves Trump and Biden. And uh, it really goes towards the, who's really doing the thinking about this and how corrupt the FDA is and CDC and revolving door it's much larger so you see this fascistic system it's real fashion that's how you can tell the anti-fascists are a freaking joke because if they really were about fascism they'd be protesting in front of facebook and the cdc and some of these other characters so they're just yeah. they're just burning up the middle class which they ostensibly actually they want to get rid of the bourgeoisie so they can try to run over everything you know but uh because they're communists <laughs> anyway so it's a very dangerous time man i mean i don't i'm not optimistic
0: yeah and uh what do you see happening in in the future with with the the system and and where we're going now um
1: well the good news is that the american system has adapted to challenges of growth and conflicts there's been legal challenge i mean amendments to the constitution so i'm hoping that the more sensible people will uh, make those changes i but Unless those happens, it's just you're you're we're headed, we're sliding towards conflict. I'm sorry. I wish I could say that it was I'm really positive, like there's level heads, but there aren't any. Yeah. So what do you think?
0: Well, I mean, you, you have prophecy as well. You know, I'm a, I'm a Christian as well myself, and you, I grew up Roman Catholic and I, I study the, the scripture and I know a bunch of very powerful orders and, and Freemasons who believe also in prophecy and, and, and religion as well. And then you have the the prophecy of the new world order and the ten kingdoms uniting with one king at the end, and um, it almost feels like we're going towards that route. You know, in Russia recently, they they reinstituted the royal family, um, so yeah so they are there was a big wedding over there and they're part of the the russian system and of course we have the orthodox church right the the russian orthodox church i mean they became part of the greek orthodox church and i think it was 10 10 ad or whatever it may be when they ended no, up No, they conquering. split
1: the big schism was catholics and the orthodox 1066 or something right 10 yeah there was 1066 yeah. but
0: um the, the Rus they they invaded greece and they took it over oh, back yeah. then and they <laughs> intermarried with the greek royalty and that's how they, yeah, and I I believe it. one of the, it was, his name was Vladimir at the time, right, when we have Vladimir Putin, Vladimir means world ruler, and uh, in any event, he was baptized, and then he intermarried with the the Greek, and that's where Greek orthodoxy, and then that got in, of course, to Russian orthodoxy as well, and, um, you know, and then they have, of course, their symbol, the double-headed eagle or or phoenix what it might be and of course freemasonry that's the big symbol of freemasonry um and and they're very powerful what's your thoughts on on russia and and their involvement i don't know i don't know i mean i think that
1: you're kind of at a point where there's a freeing of like the post-world war ii kind of we're agreeing not to have conflicts anymore you're kind of seeing that breakdown and um yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. I, I just don't see uh, stabilization really happening. I see destabilization. I also see a lot of migration happening. And um, which I don't, I don't know uh, the challenge to the nation states is going to be our nationalism is going to be very much tested even in the United States. So but as far as Russia. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I'd be more worried about China right now and how the world is going to respond to that. But um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, yeah, the whole, it seems like a lot of, you know, the center is not holding.
0: As the, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah let, let's talk about the, the influences to the people that have been influenced by Satanism, the occult and so forth. It, it seems like it never ends well. Um, everything from Alistair Crowley to the Damien Eccles, Then you have their supporters. Um, who is it that helped him get out of prison? I mean, they look oh, like Johnny, buff- Depp Johnny, uh, they just look like buffoons, you know, and they get these tattoos. And, and like when I research, what, most of them don't know what they're talking about, let alone knowing what happened with Eccles. And then you have, there's changing blood and sub- sub- saliva, their blood brothers, Marilyn right. Manson, and then they're all like freaks. And then they're, they, they're abusing people and their lives are turning just to, to crap i mean i'm so i'm going this ain't turning out too well with you guys following all this magic the only one it seemed to turn out well was damian eccles who who admits i use black magic to get out of out of prison right
1: <laughs> well i yeah i mean i think he said magic 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 i think in his own documentary he said that like he credited magic as the power that got him out of jail he's also made a statement with vice that says I was prosecuted for my love of the knowledge of Alistair Crowley. I don't remember it verbatim, but it's a pretty telling statement. Um, so, but you're right. All these lot. Li- it's almost like, uh, you know, cosmic justice. I think that Marilyn, Mon- Marilyn Manson had some trouble. Depth's definitely had a lot of grief. And I don't know what's happened to some of these other people that surround him or supported him. But uh, the Satanists, did. That. I mean, it doesn't usually end well that great for them unfortunately and uh, for them i mean they're making terrible decisions mm-hmm. um but uh, like a guy i mean yeah so i think it's pretty ugly and i think the lies surrounding the west memphis three the perpetuation of those lies is uh, very ugly too and that's kind of one of the reasons why i wrote that book is like it's all out in there in the court documents you just have to go through and
0: read it and then you, you have people that are, are rich or wealthy, and you have young people who want to emulate them. They almost live like a satanic lifestyle as well. It's all about the self, all about individuality. And if you look at Satanism, it's, it is that, you know, it's the power of the self. It's lying to get what you get. And I see this in every aspect of our, our society. And that's why I call it a, a type of a cult that formed our culture. And um, it seems to go at all levels, even if they don't claim they're a Satanist. And I talked to Mark Passio about that 10 years ago. And his thing was, yeah, they're, they're all Satanists. If they don't treat people how they want to be treated and, and so forth, and, and do these different things, and it's all about the individual and themselves, no matter what to get ahead and whatever they will do, and that could be taken to different levels and degrees of depravity, um, you know, and it, it never ends well for those people, whether they're a businessman, uh, attorney, it doesn't matter if you treat people like crap, that karmic justice is going to come back to you, you know, it and it happens have-
1: very often, it really does. Really does. It's the golden rule: do unto others as they would do unto you. And now you're really right. It's the opposite juxtaposition of Satanism, which is always super selfish. You're at the center of the universe. If you're a magician, you're the center of the microcosm and macrocosm. You can do what you want. You can you know, become really, a god. You can become a right. It's it's like all the same stuff. And you can see that maybe some of the values of even the culture now are not overtly Satanism, but they're. You're right. I think that the kids are uh, absorbing that culture, that idea of what you need to do to get ahead. And and I think that it goes back to kind of not teaching people about uh, the gospels and things like that is really has incredible psychological, I mean, cultural events. And I think a lot of it is really, it comes through this kind of cultural Marxism where they know and Gramsci and these characters know you have to get rid of Christianity to create the Demonic false utopia of communism. So that's really the first step. And I think that they succeeded here in the States, formerly a very openly kind of Christianity of a variety of different stripes, but kind of accepted kind of the Christianity probably up until the early 60s, which Crowley said was the birth of the child. He predicted that that would be the, the kind of child, the birth of Horace. And in some ways, he was right. They successfully kicked Christianity out of the schools and out of the culture and turn kind of like uh, pastors and uh, clergymen into kind of clownish buffoons. I think that's really, I mean, to have these kind of like televangelists is really a beneficial element to the push of cultural Marxism because they, it's, they're it's they just such plastic, shallow um, tellers of half-truths that it degrades Christianity even more, but to have them even consider Christianity. I, I have people, I mean, I talk to a lot of different people, and their impression of what the Christian religion is comes from these people they see who are, you know, caricatures. And so you can't really blame them. But uh, yeah, so I really do think that, and, and cultures rise. And I mean, you can even go back to the Old Testament where the ancient Israelis or Hebrews lose their way from god they repent and come back god says repent and then they repent and then they're saved from a lot of the calamities and then they fall away it's almost always like a process back then so i think we're seeing that process right now i think a lot of people are getting to the edge and going hey guys we take a couple steps off we're in deep trouble so you kind of see a kind of revitalizing like people are like no this is where things go bad. This is why we should be Christians. So you see people kind of taking the stand at least uh, at least a few of them. So,
0: yeah, and uh, this nation was actually I mean, when, when I talk about Freemasons and so forth, all those those men that were involved, the founding fathers were actually Christian a member of one religion or another and they believed in religion and honoring it and tradition and philosophy and i believe we we've gone away from that and you're right in in regards to history in the bible is there's different gods seem to rule over cultures and sometimes we war over those gods and i don't think people are are awake to that and i believe we are being ruled by the devil and and satan or whatever it might be and that's kind of our culture when religion is taken out of it and just uh, uh, one last thing here i believe actually christianity the the form of it is a form of of communism and and get me here it's it's we're all agreeing to live a certain way and if you you look at communism is, is it's a commune of people and of course we have you know the the Russian communism we have the Chinese communism and all these these killings but if we look at Christianity it's you know like my house is almost like a communist environment meaning we all agree and we all gotta put in and my money is my my wife's money, and, and my children get a, a piece of that. I'm not taking it to me, and I'm not driving a Ferrari and going out with a bunch of women partying, and then they get a little money. It's like I share everything with them. And when I look at Christianity and how ch- the good churches would work, it would be similar, and they would take care of their own, and and people put in work. And, and much of it's, it's, it's free work, but it shouldn't be. But in any event, do you feel like Christianity could be considered a good form of communism and, and maybe a godless christianity like we've seen in russia and china and china was not you know
1: well i would say just you have to parse the words because communism would be associated with atheistic marxism and materialism so communalism maybe i think that the, the christian as functions really is communalistic you're trying you're and even even the old testament pre-christ you know you're supposed to take care of the poor the needy you know and christ said you know, if you feed the four, you feed to me, which is a very interesting standard. A lot of people don't uh, talk about today. So I would be a little bit hesitant about terminology, but because I think, the way
0: people view those words, right, we got to be careful well, as well,
1: I think I mean, I, but I mean, communism, I think is a, I mean, at least as, as conceptualized by Marx and neo and Marxist is atheistic. So it's completely different in the world, there are a utopia, is a earthly materialist utopia. And the Christian view is heaven is the next world that you're supposed to live this world and maybe bring heaven down a little bit, but prepare yourself for the next realm. So you're right. You understand. I mean, there's a lot of problems in the world. Like Christ doesn't really promise people a rose garden. Like, a, you know, you're going to be persecuted. People won't like you. But I do think That a properly functioning Christian church has those elements of communalism where people donate, they tithe, and that money gets redistributed either to the internal community if somebody gets sick, or somebody needs money, or somebody has a hard thing. So I do think a properly functioning church has a lot of communal standards. And I think even I think Marx quoted the early Christian church, where there's that segment where Peter's everybody takes their money and and puts it into a pile as an example of communism not communalism but i would say christian communalism is really based as christ as lord right so you're in that environment which is polar opposite to anything communism talked about where marx hated christ and really saw himself as uh you know material materialistic atheist
0: gotcha and what do you um what are you doing next as far as your work? I know you're, this is the second interview today. So you got to get with your family and probably eat some food. What's, what's next for William Ramsey?
1: Well, it just kind of, I just redid my book, Global Death Call. I added about 15 pages of material. So I, and I cleaned it up a little bit. I had to relearn Kindle Create, but uh, I've been working a lot on my podcast or broadcast. So I've been interviewing a lot of people trying to promote kind of book knowledge, kind of a much more. Broad, deeper understanding of certain topics, uh, and without, you know, uh, a lot of commercials or things like that. So I've had a lot of interesting guests on a variety of different shows. Things that actually overlap um, with what we're talking about. I had one, the Collins Brothers, today, talking about kind of how this kind of modern world of mythologizing is trying to create a new man, which the Nazis and the communists really tried to do as well, which is very dangerous. But, uh, yeah, so I'm working on that. I think that that's really it. I kicked it off of YouTube. I can't get into my YouTube channel anymore, oh, wow. but, uh, yeah. So I think, uh, I think I've kind of mined my occult, uh, cultism enough. I'm trying to do some other things and kind of clean up some of my other old stuff, but, uh,
0: yeah, kind you're of busy. like in
1: that phase yeah my uh you know yeah i've got some family stuff i've been dealing with so t- trying to figure out my next step i was glad to finish that book i really didn't like writing global death cult it's pretty harrowing and i think it's a warning to a lot of people that there's some pretty narrow nasty ideas out there that are being spread through the internet and people are random people in different environments are getting those ideas and acting them out and their cult ideas are just terrible ideas for themselves and for their victims too
0: that's what I found with my own research, William, is when I go down this, it's a dark road. And when you, you're you deep into it for days on end, weeks, months, this research, it, it brings a dark cloud over you. And you, you look at the world, you're like, wow. And then your kids and your wife, how do you maintain balance and, and happiness? Well, that's a good question.
1: I mean, you have to kind of put it away. I think it's important to know it's there, but it really shouldn't be the the most important thing of your day. I mean, I think you, you probably should tend to spend time with family, spend time outside and, uh, you get a much better perspective than sitting in front of a computer all day or, uh, researching the occult. But I think that, I think that something happened in the culture where then now people realize that these ideas are very pernicious. And I think that's a good place to be because I think the seduction of it is see, to me, see it doesn't seem like at least for my generation I heard the younger generation still seems to be interested in the cultism but I think the older people like hey man this this doesn't end out bad end out well just like you said
0: yeah definitely well thank you for your time today William maybe we could talk in the next six months or or a year love to yeah definitely and uh, where can people find your great work I know YouTube is is gone so, yeah. So
1: I, I would say you can listen to my interviews on iTunes, William Ramsey Investigates. I have five documentaries on Vimeo. And then my books are available at my website, WilliamRamseyInvestigates.com.
0: Okay, perfect. Okay, great. Thank you for your time and, and good luck to you. Cheers. God bless. All right, take care. All right, God take bless, care. bro. Bye. Bye.